starting with verse 28 with your Bibles open, Exodus 34. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Try that. And he wrote on the tablets, actually don't try that. Um, And he wrote on the tablets, words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. He wrote capital H-E, God wrote the commandments. Notice that Moses didn't write them, God wrote them. Verse 29, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony, I love that name of the Ten Commandments, of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when, Moses, so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses and beheld the skin of his face had shown, they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called them, and Aaron to all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them his commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whatever the children of Israel, whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, that Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let's pray once again. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask that you would speak to the heart of every person in this room. Lord, you know what each and every person needs individually, Lord, what uh, is missing from our walk with you, what, uh, Lord, needs to be strengthened, what needs to be removed. Lord, we pray that you would speak and that we would hear and that we would obey that which you command to us, your children. Thank you for being such a gracious and faithful Heavenly Father. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're taking notes this morning, I always have a title, so the title of my time in God's Word this morning is Reflecting His Light, Reflecting His Light, and we'll look at three sections this morning, Refuge, Receive, and Reflect, Refuge, Receive, and Reflect. There was a a third grader by the name of Danny Dutton, eight years old, from Chula Vista, California. And he wrote wrote a little letter or a paper, I don't know what you call it, but he wrote an explanation of God. And I'm going to read what this eight-year-old from Chula Vista, California, he wrote an explanation of God. He said, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there will be enough to take care of the things on earth. He doesn't make them grown-ups, just babies. I think because they are smaller and easier to make. (laughs) That way, he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times besides bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears, unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. 
God sees everything and hears everything and everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. You shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head asking for something that they said you couldn't have. <laughs> Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in Chula Vista. At least there aren't any who come into our church. Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach the people who didn't want to learn about God. They finally got tired of him preaching and they had him crucified. But he was good and kind like his father and he told his father that they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them so God said okay. His dad, God, appreciated everything that he had done and all his hard work on earth so he told him he didn't have to go out on the road anymore. He could stay in heaven. So he did. And now God helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing things which are important for God to take care of and which ones he can take care of himself without having to bother God. Like a secretary, only more important. You can pray anytime you want but, and be sure to know that you will be heard because they got it worked out so that one of them is on duty at all times. <laughs> you should always go to church on Sunday because this makes God happy. And if there's anybody you want to make happy, it's God. <laughs> Don't skip church to do something you think will be more fun, like going to the beach. I'm going to read that again. Don't skip church to do something you think will be more fun, like going to the beach. This is wrong. And besides, he wrote that, I mean, this is wrong. And besides, the sun doesn't come out on the beach till around noon anyway. <laughs> if you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you will be very lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you, like to camp, but God can. It is good to know he's around when you're scared in the dark and when you can't swim very good and you get thrown into real deep water by big kids. But you shouldn't, all, you shouldn't just think about what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases. Now, this eight-year-old letter, he gets some things wrong, doesn't he? And there's some things that aren't doctrinally correct. But I'll say this. He has a lot more right than many other eight-year-olds, doesn't he? He has a lot more right than a lot of adults do, even though a lot of things are wrong and they're not phrased right. The theology is incorrect in some areas. Some areas it's right on target. But well, the point is, you and I are supposed to reflect God to a world that doesn't know who God is. And our lives tell a story of who God is. Our lips tell who God is. And at the end of the day, the more time we spend with God, the more accurately we will represent him. I would believe that this young man continues to follow the Lord. Uh, he will, at some point, even better reflect the nature of God than this letter, as humorous as it is. And the more we spend time with the Lord, the more we're going to properly, accurately, in the power of the Holy Spirit, reflect the Lord. Amen? I want to look first at this 28th verse. I left it, uh, a lot of, in a lot of your Bibles, it's probably in the previous section, but I wanted to include it in our study today. Moses, if you're taking notes, again, this first section of refuge, Moses spends a second 40 days, a second 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord. This is the second time he's done it. The first time, although Moses was built up and strengthened 
and receive so much from God the first time, back down at the base of the mountain, it was a disaster, wasn't it? The people had fallen into idolatry, or they had dove into idolatry, let's say. Uh, It was a disaster. Uh, Thank the Lord, this time Moses goes up for 40 days, and the people do not turn away from God during these 40 days. Um, It's always good when we learn our lesson, isn't it? To not go back and make the same mistakes. But for Moses, while the people down uh, below, and, and mainly we probably could credit that Aaron stays where he's supposed to be. This is, where, uh, this is where parents, you have to be a rock, right, in your house. Now you cling to the rock of the Lord. Moses' refuge is the Lord. Aaron's refuge must be the Lord. But thankfully the people do not drift away during the, 40, the second 40 uh, days that Moses is gone. But yet Moses himself, once again, in these 40 days with the Lord, receives supernatural help and provision from God. I mean, who else but God can allow a person to go 40 days with either food or water? The maximum you can go, uh, you know, there's not a, there's not a set. Uh, some people say, well, you can, you can only go three days without water. That's partly true. It, it depends on the temperature, the outside temperature. It depends on how hydrated you were when you started being without water, and it also depends on if you had any food that actually has water in the food, because a lot of foods actually have water when you can't even taste water. So, but relatively speaking, depending on what you would get, if you had no food and no water, you're probably talking no more than four or five days at the absolute max, and then most often it's three, uh, three to four. But it's, put, it's, it's possible that somebody could, and without the divine intervention of God, but 40 It just totally removes the possibility that there's any explanation but who? God. This is God alone. Only God could do this. Only God would do this. And many of the the Hebrew scholars, some of the Hebrew scholars, not all of them, but some of the Hebrew scholars in the rabbinical writings actually believe that Moses, when he went 40 days and 40 days without food or water, that God actually lifted him up off the mountain into the very presence of heaven. For that time, which similar to when Paul went up into heaven, he, part of him didn't want to come back, right? And you wouldn't either to go back to the desert there in Saudi Arabia, the land of Midian, uh, people that really were hard to lead and half the time didn't want to go anywhere where, where God wanted them to go, much less where Moses wanted them to go. And yet, he spends this time up there with the Lord, and whether, uh, whether he went up into heaven is not all that relevant. We know heaven came down to him, because wherever God is, heaven is, right? See, because in, the, in the, uh, the New Jerusalem, or uh, even beyond the New Jerusalem, when, when God himself uh, was going to be the light, there's not going to be any sun, the presence of the Lord will be the light, will be the life. And this is the all-sustaining uh, power of God. What God did for Moses here, though, is it's a reminder to all of us that whatever it is that we need, God can provide it. Whatever it is that we need. Oh, I'm sure God couldn't do this one. Uh, he can do things like 40 days without food and water, but he could never help in this situation with me. There's no situation that we find ourselves in that God can't 
provide. You know, George Mueller was known for his great faith, his incredible faith. Uh, he, had, he had come to his church, and he felt like God was telling him to start an orphanage. And he knew that when he would say it, he would get a couple of different responses. He would have some people roll their eyes and say, have you lost your mind? That'll never work. He'd have other people say, I'm with you and I'm praying that God will do this. Right? Remember the, remember the spies that later uh, Moses will send the spies out? Ten of them will say, what a waste of trip that was. We have no chance of ever going to Canaan. None. We might as well start to build cities right here in the desert. But two, Joshua and Caleb said, God will take it for us. We have to either believe God or not believe God. And George Mueller, when he, uh, when he told his congregation, God put on my heart because he saw all these poor orphans. And by the way, I believe God wants this church to grow in reaching out far beyond what we do today. I believe in the months and years to come, uh, the things that the Lord will have us doing in the city of Richmond should make what we're doing today look like nothing. Not in our own strength. And it's, what's great about it, when people would ask George Mueller, so what's your plan? He goes, I'm not sure. God just told me we're going to do it. Well, how are we going to do this? I don't have that outline. God just told me we're going to do it. Well, what, how in the world will we do? And he'd be like, I don't know yet. Where's the building going to be? Don't have one yet. When are we going to get it? Haven't seen it yet. You know, a lot of people are uncomfortable with those answers. Are you? A lot of people don't like those answers because a really good leader who is seasoned in business practices has a 20-point business plan that tells us exactly how it's going to go. That's not exactly how God works, is it? And so George Mueller, uh, one lady comes up to him and, and she mutters, I've never heard of such a thing. I don't see how it could possibly work. The poorhouse is the blessed place for an orphan. Can't get into any mischief there. Another uh, individual says, if you were an Englishman, Mr. Mueller, because George Mueller grew up in Prussia. He, he spoke German. He was, he was not a native of England. He had moved to England to be a missionary from Germany to England. But he wasn't native to, uh, to England. And this woman says, if you were an Englishman, Mr. Mueller, you would know this type of thing is not possible in England. It is not the way we do things here. Perhaps God would supply all your needs in this way over in Prussia, but not here. George looked her in the eye and said, I believe God is our provider wherever we live. It doesn't matter if you're on top of a mountain. It doesn't matter if you're living in an apartment. It doesn't matter if you're living in a car for a period of time. God is the provider for every person and everything, especially to those, well, exclusively to those that are saved and his children, which Moses was. Amen? Now, he wants, to be, he wants to be the father and the provider to all of humanity, but not all of humanity wants him to be their provider. A lot of them say, keep whatever you got. I'm going to make my own thing here. And even God still provides for them too. Um, you know, we prayed for Pastor Billy and his heart uh, is having an issue. But a lot of other people who don't want anything to do with God. The little boy read the story and he mentioned atheists. There's a lot of atheists that don't believe in God and God provides their heart working all that time that they're mocking him. So God still provides even for people that don't believe in him. But how much more, Jesus said, if God can care about these little sparrows, how much more does your heavenly father 
care about you. And he does care. And, I, and you know, when I used to hear that story as a kid, it rolled off my, you know, rolled right through my ears. But now when I look at birds, I'm sometimes amazed, like, how do they do it? Where in the world do they find food? I don't see anything out here. How do they do it? When did they build that nest? It's one minute it's there, the next thing, I mean, one minute it's not there, the next minute it's there. How do they stitch it together? They don't have hands. But God provides. We are. Jesus compared us to little chicks. He said, how long, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. And he said, I long to just pull you in and be your provider, but you don't want me to be your provider. You know, the physical world is actually not our provider. I know you receive a paycheck, most of you, but your employer is actually not your provider. I know you might get food from the grocery store, but the grocery store is not actually your provider. The farmer will tell you that, won't they? There ain't nothing in the grocery store unless we grow it. But then the farmer still needs God to send rain. The physical world is not our provider. Now, God uses the physical world. I'm thankful that he's given us the physical world. And he gives us the wisdom on how to leverage the things in the physical world. He gives us the understanding he gives us the past history of all those who have gone before us that he's revealed. You know, again, a guy like George Washington Carver, God revealed him all those things about the peanut. And now we're the beneficiary of peanut butter, thanks to people like him. But he said, you know, God's the one that revealed all this stuff to me. The physical world, um, I don't look at a jar of peanut butter and, thank, and say, thank you, peanuts. Because I know that they're not the source there may be an evidence of, but they're not the source of what they provide. And the things that you and I find in our hands, Moses had certainly never planned on going 40 days and 40 nights without water. He would believe that the source of his life might be, I must have water and I must have food to live. And God would say, not true. What do you mean, God? You know, one goes three days without water. You forgot. I'm the one that gives life to water. Water doesn't give life unless I say it gives life. As a rule, it always gives life because I say. But at any time I want to say it doesn't give life, or at any time I want to go beyond what it can do, I do. Because I'm above the physical realm. The physical realm is only effective if God allows it to be effective. This is why Jesus tells us, don't put your trust in man. Put it in the Lord. I don't know what your need is. But I know what our real need is. And you might have individual needs here today, and I'm sure every single person here does. But your real need is to be closer to God, to be more intimately in His presence. Because there is where He'll speak wisdom that you'll never find unless you're in His presence. There is where He'll provide spiritual food that will actually supersede physical food. Dr. Erwin Lutzer he said, there's no hopeless situations. There's only people who find themselves hopeless. There is no hopeless situations. There is no I'll die if I don't have something to drink situations when it comes to God. He is our refuge. In the presence of God, our problems, they fade and our faith grows. Can you imagine the faith that Moses would have after this? When they've gone two days without water, and everyone says, we'll die by the third day. And Moses says, or the 40th. 
well, that's, that, was, that was for you. That was special. That was God, you know, that was special for you. And it's like, well, if God really is, has us in our hand, we're okay, aren't we? We're going to be all right. Psalm 46 one says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help and trouble. We live in troubling times, don't we? You can live petrified, scared to death. Or, this is the thing a lot of other people do, they don't live scared or petrified. You know what they do? They stay isolated in things that are fun and entertaining 24-7 so they never have to be scared or afraid. Are you guilty of that? You know, you, you cannot be afraid. You cannot be afraid to go out and read Pastor Saeed's story. You must go out and read his story. You must go to persecution.org and read of the saints around the world. Don't bury your head in the Cartoon Network. Amen? Instead, allow God to take us through and let him grow our faith and be our refuge and be our strength to believe that he's going to take care of not only us, but our brothers and sisters around the world, and that we would not either live in fear, because some people live in panic and fear, and other people say, I'm not afraid of anything. But that's because they live in constant entertainment. It's to numb themselves. It's like taking a drug or something. It's to numb themselves from any sense of reality. This is one of the main reasons why our country is going straight down the tubes, because people don't see the coming storm coming. And God says, it's coming. But we don't have to be afraid of that because our refuge is in the Lord. Amen? Jesus said himself, come unto me, all you are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you believe that? Or you say, well, that's just a salvation thing. Really? I still find myself going to him well after salvation, weary and needing rest. How about you? Yeah, it was not just about salvation. That is a continuation of the rest of your Christian life that you will keep going back to him weary and needing rest. But I tell you what, he'll be there every time. And he has spiritual food and spiritual water of which we know not. Amen? In Isaiah 40, 31, you know this verse, but do you believe the verse? And do you live it? But those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. Or wait, wait on the Lord. They shall soar with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Moses, you can be as strong after 40 days without water as the minute you went up to the top of the mountain with God. With man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I think where our prayer life is so limited because we just don't believe God can do this or that. I sent out a, an email to the, the Bon Air team that God would save every single soul at Bon Air, every single one of them, every guard, every person, that there'd be a Nineveh day. And, and I'm like, why not, why not believe that God can do that? Well, it's never been done before. Well, no one ever went 40 days and 40 nights without water either. Amen? Or we can just say, Lord, we're going to believe you for the biggest possible things and this is what, you know, I've been reading about George Mueller. This is what separate, he just, he just would read things in the Bible and say, I think God can still do that. And I'm going to go ahead and live that way. God is our refuge. See, but the reason why a lot of us don't have much faith is because God's not our refuge. Our refuge is, I need to get a raise. Our refuge is, if I could only figure out a way to have more time, doing this. If I could only, oh, I just need to numb my mind with, uh, with uh, you know, four more hours of TV or something like that, and then I'll feel at rest. 
And God says, not your refuge, not your refuge, not your refuge. Because those things have big holes in the bottom of the sack. And everything you put in goes right back out according to the book of Haggai. But if you say, Lord, I'm going to instead invest in your presence, windows open up. Moses could speak to a testimony that the people couldn't and didn't ever relate to. And we can see that even when he came down, they still couldn't relate fully to his relationship with the Lord, could they? Let's look at this next uh, section, receive. So it was when Moses came down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were with Moses. There are some things that God gives you and I individually. He may speak to you in a dream, but he may not speak to your spouse that way. The Lord speaks to me in dreams periodically, but he doesn't speak to everybody else. Some people have the gift of tongues. Some do not. Oh, I thought everyone was supposed to. No, no. Some have the gift of tongues. Some do not. Some people, uh, you know, God has given them a specific talent that I will never, ever have. And I'm okay with that. How about you? There's certain talents you may never receive, never have the ability to do. There's certain things God will give you individually. He may give you a task that he doesn't give to somebody else. I don't think everyone's called to be a pastor. Certainly, some have probably been called a pastor and ignored and resisted that call. Maybe someone here, I don't know. Not everyone's called to the same thing. Someone, may be, someone might be called to law enforcement and someone else not. There's all kinds of things that God will give specifically to an individual, but not to someone else. He may ask you to fast over something that he's not asking someone else to fast over. And that he asks you to keep it to yourself. Even wash your face and look like you're not even fasting before men. Other times, now be, be aware that that does not exclude fast that we do join with people where we say, me and my wife are going to fast together or me and the elders are going to fast or we're going to do a sacred assembly fast which we see throughout the scriptures. There's those kind as well. But God will speak individually on some things and they're just for you. Or he may give you a conviction. He says, you know, for that person, they can have a glass of wine because it's not a sin to have a glass of wine. But for you, no. Well, why can they have one and I can't? And God may not even tell you why. He may give you the parental because I said so. You know, that really is legitimate, right? It's legitimate for parents, and it's absolutely legitimate for God. If he goes, because I said so. He basically said to Abraham, I am who I am. You got any more? Nope. Just go tell Pharaoh what I said. So someone may be given the latitude to, by the way, no one's given the latitude to be drunk with wine ever, whatsoever. But God may give the latitude on something. Hey, he might say for you, get rid of the TV set. But someone else gets to keep theirs. So there are individual things that God will speak to, things that he wants you to fast. He might give you a healing and the other person doesn't get healing. They just get grace that's sufficient. That really will frustrate you sometimes, won't it? You want to be really happy for their healing. Then you say, but what about me? And God says, well, for you, I'm going to grow you some more. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> right? That's your fleshly answer. I've had it before. I'm just being very transparent. 
But then God begins to work, and you, and you begin to actually thank Him, truly thank Him for the things that are radically changing you for His glory. Amen? And for you, it might be grace instead of healing. By the way, healing is grace, and not getting healed is grace. It's just you don't see it from God's perspective. But the most important things that God gives, I want to be clear, the most important things that God gives, He gives to everyone. And I'm holding one example of it right here. This is no more, everything, every word in here can be read by any person that knows how to read or can have ears to hear someone else read it to them. Amen? That's why it's important that we have to translate the Bible and the languages that still haven't heard the whole counsel of God. But this is for everybody. There's nothing in here, whether that's for you and that everything in the scriptures is for all of us. The things that are most important, God gives to everyone. In fact, uh, the myriad, or myriad, the myriad of ways that God works in individuals, and He works really differently through, let's say, a pastor in India versus how He would work through me. He works all these different ways and all these different ministries, even different denominations, thank you. All these different ways that God works, and yet, all the different ways that he works is to accomplish one singular, broader work, and that is this, to reveal his nature, his truth, his glory, and his plan of redemption. Would you agree with that? I don't care. You take any ministry that's truly spirit-filled, even if their style is different, even if their way is different, even if their worship is different, even if their zip code is different, no matter what it is, their background is different, their education is different, the congregation is different, at the end of the day, God will still have a broader work of His nature, His truth, His glory, and His plan for redemption. So what Moses receives... Although Moses received, you would agree with me, that if you spent 40 days intimately with God with no food and water, you've received some unique things that were only for you. True? First of which, that you would be the one person to say, I've gone 40 days without water. But many other things Moses received that he never shared with anybody, they were between him and who? The Lord. But not the Ten Commandments. Moses didn't have the option of saying, Hey, how'd it go up there? It went great. God taught me all kinds of stuff. Did he give you anything? Well, he did. I, he gave me Ten Commandments. I left them up on top of the mountain. Why would you do that? I figured y'all didn't want to hear about it. I, I decided to leave them up. Well, I thought you learned so much from God. Wouldn't one of the things you learned be obedience? Well, I did learn that. But that waned after the 41st day. As soon as I got a big glass of water and some bread back in me, I realized that these Ten Commandments are pretty harsh. They're fairly limiting. They seem very black and white, non-negotiable. So I decided I'd leave them on top of the mountain because I, I knew you guys wouldn't be interested. So I decided to leave them up there. Now, that's not going to go real good for Moses if he chooses that path, is it? No. What he received, he was given the law and the Ten Commandments, but they were by no means for him personally or exclusively. They were for him personally. The Ten Commandments were just for much for Moses as they were for anybody else, but they weren't for him exclusively. The things that God has given you and me here are not to be kept and buried. 
They're to be re-given. The same way received, we then go give to somebody else. Now, we have the perception that people aren't interested. You know, Moses noticed that um, even though God gave him the commandments and he wanted them to proclaim them and he wanted them to share, we know he proclaims them because it tells us right here in verse 31 uh, or 32, it says, afterward, all the children of Israel came near and he gave them as commandments. Not only did he give them, this is like, I don't know, the umpteenth time they've heard these commandments. Some of you, when you come here, you say, you've said that before. Stick around, I'll say it again, I'm sure of it, because it's going to be written again. And so Moses reiterates these commandments to them again. They were meant to be proclaimed, they were meant to be shared. He, in fact, shares them with all the children of Israel, and all the Lord had spoken to him. He shares with them, says, thus saith the Lord. This is one, one thing we see in Scripture a lot, isn't it? Thus saith the Lord. This is what the prophets would always say. Because it was important to say, thus saith the Lord, other than saying, thus say Elijah, thus say Jeremiah. Instead, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to share with you what God has given me. Notice God did not send Moses down with a stack of People magazines or a stack of the Wall Street Journal. And on occasions, everything in those magazines is actually true. On occasions. On a more regular basis, they are full of the biases of men, aren't they? Which isn't always true. It is posed as true, but not necessarily true. He doesn't send him down with uh, entertainment. He sends Moses down with what? Truth. Ten of them. Ten truths that everyone needs to know. And notice this about what God gives, the truths he gives. They were given in love to a fallen world. God's Ten Commandments are not, they're not because he hates the world, they're because he so loves the world that it's important. He basically sends them down with a mirror. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a multitude of things at one time. It is a list. It is a roadmap. It is commandments. It is a mirror all at the same time because everything about God is multifaceted. And in a single moment, God accomplishes a, a kind of a realm of things with one singular act. He puts the Ten Commandments down with his finger, but they will do a multitude of things. They will show people, I can't keep them. They'll show people, I've broken them. They will show people, I'm not perfect. They'll show people, I'm a sinner. They'll show people, I need grace and mercy. And how in the world could I possibly keep these? They'll show people, God is holy. I could go on and on and on. These are the things that God wants Moses to deliver. I'll never forget, you know, when I first got saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and Pastor Bob was speaking uh, somewhere in that first two years. It always stuck with me. He talked about the concept of true truth. True truth. You know, a lot of what you hear over the years, you'll forget, but there's certain things that stand out to you, and I've never forgot the concept of true truth. You know, Moses was given true truth. The Ten Commandments are true truth. They sit high above other lesser truths. Does that make sense? They sit high, high above other lesser truths. Thou shalt not worship any other God sits way above other truths. 
Because there are other truths out there, but they're not true truth. Um, It's the perfection of God and His law. We have the true truth that God is perfect there. We have the true truth that man has fallen and is hopeless in the heart condition, isn't he? That's a true truth, that man has fallen and completely hopeless without God. There's the mercy of God given through his son and the blood of Jesus and his death and resurrection. That is a true truth. Many people don't believe it's true at all and how mistaken they are. It's not only true, it's a true truth. It supersedes things they think are true. Now be aware, many people will want a certain amount of truth, but that doesn't mean they want true truth. They may love a show on TV that sh- maybe it's titled, there's, there's one I recently saw something like this, Stranger Than Fiction on like Nat Geo or Discovery Channel, but they're true. And they are. They, they, amazing things like uh, we, we, were watching, we watched one the other night where there's this damn wall that's almost as flat as, uh, as, the, uh, as the pulpit here, and these ibexes were walking on it. And everyone that saw it couldn't believe it. They're like, the, the, the drop-off is so flat. They're like, how in the world? Immediately I thought of the Bible, hinds feet in high places, that these ibexes, they're, they're relative to the goat, could actually scale up a wall because it had little tiny cracks, crevices, and little bits of, of stone, and they could walk on it up and down like it was nothing without falling over. And it, you would say, oh, i got to see that for myself to believe it. And then when you see it, oh, it's true. Now, that's true, but that's not true truth. In other words, that, that kind of truth, it's like, kind of, wow, that's amazing. It could actually draw you to true truth, because then you could start to think, hmm, how could they do that? I wonder if someone created them. Why are they not like even afraid at all? They seem like they're doing this with relative ease. It's like someone built it in their DNA. But if they did, I wonder where their DNA comes from. Ah, that's primordial slime. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Somebody might love the truth. You might tell someone, hey, it's buy one, get one sale, buy one, get one free at the shoe store. I don't believe you. You've got to be kidding. They would never do that. And they go out and look at it. Sure enough, you were telling the truth. It is buy one, get one free at such and so shoe store. Now that's true, but what's that really going to do for you in the long run? It's helpful. It saves a little money, but is it really true, true? Is it kind of life-changing? Yes, I've been waiting for that brown pair for so long. For some women, they might feel that way. Maybe someone says, I I just got to know. Does the new baby of Prince William and Kate, does, does the baby have blonde hair or brown hair? I want to see for myself. I want to see pictures. I'm standing in line. Where's that 50th anniversary people, or whatever that thing is, special edition? I want to see for myself. I heard the hair is so cute. I want to see it for myself. Oh, yeah, that looks blonde. Picture tells the truth. But it, how life-changing is that? How important is that? That's not true truth. But you know what? A lot of people, if you tell them, hey, 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 you seem like you like truth. You want to know if the sale is really this weekend. You want to know what color the baby's hair is. You want to see a picture of what I just told you about. Do you want to hear what God has to say? No, I don't want to hear that. 
I don't, I'm not interested in that. Not only that, and that's probably you're going to give me your opinion anyway. No, no, I promise I won't give you my opinion. My opinion won't matter. How about if I just read it to you right from God? I'll just read right from His Word. Now, I don't have time for that. I'm not religious. I only like truths that have zero long-term importance. This is where we need the Holy Spirit, folks. The Holy Spirit is the one that pinpricks hearts and says, no, you need to know this more than you need to know about the sale. But what are we going to do? Are we going to go and proclaim it like Moses? Are we going to come down the mountain and not only have received from God, but then bring it with us and say, please gather around. You may never gather around again, but I just want to share again what God gave me. This is what he gave me. I'm going to read them to you, 1 through 10. Not only that, he gave me some other parting advice that goes with these commandments because he said he told all that the Lord had shared with him. Turn Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 1, really fast. Luke chapter 1. I want to have you see something in the scriptures here. There's many places we could look, but I thought this was a powerful little thing. Look, at, if your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 1. Now, the Holy Spirit puts on the, on the heart of Luke to rewrite what would, in essence, be the fourth of the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, you know, Luke might have thought to himself, why do I need to rewrite this? Others have already told this story. Never knowing that you and I would be the beneficiary of four viewpoints of the same message. That God wanted it from a different angle. He wanted it from me looking at this angle. He wanted it from you back in the corner looking at it from this angle. He wanted someone up on the roof looking down at it, right? You ever like to see pictures from different angles? Those of you who like football, I know you do. You love when the camera rolls over the middle of the field and zooms into a different shot. You're appreciative of multi-camera. You're glad they now use 50 cameras instead of two. Right? Well, God does this. He does a you know, bicameral viewpoint of everything. So he gives Luke, who's a physician, a detailed guy, gives him another shot at saying, I want you to write this too. But notice what Luke says in verse 2. New- Luke, Luke also mentions that other people were continually taking what they had received and giving it the same way Moses does with the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 2. Just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Luke is saying, whatever God gives me, I'm going to give out. But I'm not all that unique because anyone, and you know when he says, you know the Bible, we talked about the Bible's principle of duality. It means multiple things at the same time. When Luke says those from the beginning, he's speaking of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ or the beginning of after Jesus ascended where they began to tell his whole life story. That's the gospel. They'd say, well, he came and he was born in Bethlehem and then he rose at the age of 30, he did a ministry. But it's not just that beginning. He's talking about all the way back, I believe, the Holy Spirit is speaking through time here saying, also all those that have testified going back, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, anyone that ever had received truth and had testified to it, Luke says, I'm just following suit. God gives, we tell. Now look at verse, um, look at verse, speaking of the ministry of Elijah, look at verse, starting with verse 15, this is about Elijah. Now again, 
Remember I said, just like God may give you something. By the way, John the Baptist was not allowed to have a single drop of wine touch his lips. Not a drop. That wasn't for everybody. Jesus and the disciples, remember, they actually, you know, there was, uh, you know, at the Lord's Supper, you know, but not John the Baptist, not a single drop. And Jesus was a Nazarene as well. So this would apply also to him. Of course, he gives the bread and the cup to everybody else. But look at, look at um, starting with verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither strong wine nor drink. And this is why I read the 15th verse, not so much about the wine, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. You and I have no chance to be effective without the filling of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. It goes on. Now, this is what a true truth does versus just any old average truth. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. A true truth about politics, entertainment, does not turn children of Israel to the Lord their God. They had already had all that stuff, right? They already would read the newspaper from cover to cover. You ever seen people? I, I had my grandparents and others would do that every Sunday morning. The entire newspaper cover to cover. Entertaining. Nice with a cup of coffee. Somewhat relaxing. Somewhat, depending on what you're reading. Doesn't do a hill of beans for you by 3 o'clock that afternoon. You've forgotten most of what you read, right? This is the problem with information overload, isn't it? but not true truths. He said it would turn the people to the Lord their God. He also would go before them in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's Malachi chapter 4. And the disobedient of the, uh, to the wisdom of the just to make a ready people prepared for the Lord. That's what true truth does. That's what the Ten Commandments do. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ do. We're told to proclaim these things. You can go back to Exodus 34. So when God calls, a, 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 God calls John the Baptist, he's going to give John the Baptist a true truth message that's going to hearken back to the Old Testament. He's going to speak forth. Uh, John the Baptist is not going to go around explaining archaeological truths, though God could have given him that wisdom, right? He's not going to go around explaining you know, deep secrets of science. Fascinating. I love that stuff, but it doesn't really change my life. He's going to give him a powerful message of truth anointed by the Holy Spirit that would do what? Turn the people back to God and turn the hearts of fathers to children. You know, the team that's going into Bonaire tonight, most of the kids there are from single-parent homes. God is far more interested in turning the hearts of their fathers back to their kids than he is that you know, they would learn some other truth about, uh, maybe they learned math they had never learned before. Learn a new language. God would rather them learn those things after they had been turned back to their children, after they had been turned back to the Lord. Let's come to our final section here. By the way, Psalm 19.7, you've heard me read this verse many times, but it proclaims exactly what the gospel and the law do together. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting, refreshing the soul or converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are true, making wise the simple. Other truths don't do that. 
God sends Moses back down the mountain with life-changing, God-reflecting, God-eye-opening truths that are different than just, yeah, that's true, but not all that important. What else do we see with Moses? He doesn't just leave the mountain and come down. He comes down transformed. He not only comes down with the Word, and you and I are to travel with the Word written on our hearts, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, if you've been here with a, on Wednesday, the Word is on our lips, even near to us, that we would have the Word of God in us and speaking it, but he's reflecting, this last section, to reflect. You know, I would say, and we can see it all throughout Scripture, that you're going to be, and I'm going to be, a lot more effective in presenting truth if people can see that it really is coming from God and not from us. When Moses' face is shining, that's pretty unusual, isn't it? Uh, we've never seen a light bulb, but your face is looking like, if we understood what a light bulb would someday look like, we're looking at it. Your face is like a candle, maybe. You're, you're shining. We, we've never seen anything like this. It has to be the presence of God so when the presence of God is clear to people, then when the message comes from God, people have nowhere to run and hide. They can say, well, that really is from God. We should listen. We should tune into that. Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that I, you'll receive power from on high to be my witnesses. It's one thing to be a witness, but again, John the Baptist was going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to go with the witness the illumination, we call the Holy Spirit. You hear me pray a lot of times just before I teach, God, illuminate the eyes. Illuminate. It's one thing for me to preach the Word. It's an entirely different thing when the Holy Spirit then fans out and reveals, thus saith the Lord. And then God Himself shines the spotlight, if you will, on it, on its truth. It's a lot more effective when people know, man, you, I think you really have been transformed by God. This is sometimes easier than other times. If people saw you in your past life before Christ, they see today, they can see the difference. But some people now meet you. They never met you in your past life. All they know is you in your current life. How does the Lord work in that? Well, Moses, the people had known him for a long time too. And yet they still saw that you've been in the presence of God. Can people tell that you spend time in the presence of God? Can other believers see it in you? They can see that God is doing a work in you, that you're, you know, that um, that your progress, as the scriptures say, is evident to all. It's evident that you're growing in the grace and the truth of the Lord. You know, Paul would write later about this. He said in 2 Corinthians 3, 12, 14, speaking of this very uh, area, he says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What hope? The hope in Christ we have the hope in eternity. We're very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil. He says, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. What Paul was saying is, look, God illuminated Moses. God gave him this shining light that came from heaven itself, but he had to veil it because a lot of times the people still were like, that's too much. 
You, you've, gone, you've gone really deep with God. And we're okay. We're okay right here. Those of you that have been here Wednesday night, we want to keep the flip-flops on and the bleachers. You're doing great on the field, Moses. Keep doing it. Keep running up and down. You're doing, but we're going to stay right about where we're at. And there's, a, there's an element of... Paul says they're, they're, they were dull. Their minds were dull because they, they didn't quite... And, and, and we know that further down the road, this will be revealed when the ten spies, like I already mentioned, ten of which will actually represent most of the people. That's, we don't have that kind of faith. That, you have that kind of faith, Moses. You've trained Joshua to have that kind of faith. Caleb, I don't know where he picked it up. He has that kind of faith, but we don't have that kind of faith. And we're not exercising that kind of faith. We do have faith in Citibank. We do have faith in my employer. We do have faith in this brand new car we bought. We do have faith in these things. We don't have faith in God. Right? Moses comes down. He's reflecting God. You know, one other thing about this glow, when we spend time with the Lord uh, he really does transform us. How many have, have had the chance to watch? Uh, I posted it on, um, I should just post it on my own Facebook. I don't think I, uh, how many have seen the Pastor Say testimony with Nagma that she preached at Calvary South? I know the ladies, some of the ladies saw it. Unbelievable. Um, I, I learned things that I didn't know were taking place. Uh, Pastor Said has personally led over 30 prisoners to Christ since he's been there. But on one particular, if you watch it, and we, we'll probably show it here in the near future, one particular recent thing that took place uh, back in the spring, when he had been put in solitary confinement, it was supposed to be 20 days, but he ended up being 10. When he came out, he had all these internal injuries that had begun healing. When he came out, the prisoner said his face was glowing. God still does the same things, folks. He still will transform you and I when we spend time. And by the way, that transformation a lot of times is not the way we want it to be. We don't want to go 40 days without food. and water. We love food and drink, right? We're very attracted to food and drink. We have the food network now, <laughs> right? We have every kind of road trip across America to find the best ice cream, to find the best donuts, find the best hamburgers. I mean, we are fixated on food. We're a country that is, has all kinds of health problems because we're fixated on food. We do not eat just for sus to be sane. We eat for pleasure. We rise and play just like the children of Israel did. And God says, look, if that's what you want, you can have it. But a few people, pastors say, they want me. And they might not get your donut, but they'll win 30 people to Christ. Right? Their, their face will glow, and a lot of people say, well, I don't really want that. And that's true. They, and a lot of people have a hard time admitting, I don't really want that. You know, there's things I tell God, and I have to be very honest, God, I don't want that yet. But I want to want it. Right? Where God will ask me, do you really want this? And I'll have, you can't lie to God. You can't say, oh, yes, I do, when you don't. I want to shine like Moses. Do you really? Do you really want that? Do you want to shine like Moses? And after a while, you'll start praying yes in faith. But you'll, you know what you'll do? Till you get, you'll start doing the things you've already been told to do. And walking in those things. And doing those things. And speaking to the people. You know, when you walk and when you reflect the Lord, people won't, they won't always love your reflection of Christ. 
Did you know that? Some are going to be uncomfortable with it. It's going to bother them. You're going, to, you're going to know, every time I'm around them, I know I make them feel uncomfortable. I felt this in the business world. I knew I was a wet blanket to certain meetings. I was dampening their fun. Not that I wanted to. I tried to veil it in a good way. Just, you know, as a Christian, we're supposed to be humble. We're not supposed to act like, I'm really spiritual. I was at church yesterday. How about you, businessmen? <laughs> you were golfing. I know it. You tell me you golf every Sunday. You know, that, no, no, I would veil because I, you, we reach out and love to people. I'm not there to say I'm the spiritual one because I used to love to do everything. I used to like the eight-year-old kid. I love the beach on Sundays. Now I love his presence more than I love the beach. By the way, he made the beach. That's why we don't thank, you know, when he provides something for us, we don't say, thank you, plate. We say, thank you, Lord. Right? He made these things, the things he made, we appreciate, but we love him more. And when we love him more, we'll eventually see him transform. We'll reflect his glory. Not everyone's going to be comfortable with it. Some will feel guilty around you. Some will feel guilty. Some will just want to stay away. Moses experienced all these things, and he would say, the Lord would tell him, it's okay, veil it. They're not ready. Veil it. It's okay. Let Aaron talk to him some more. Let Joshua talk to him some more. It's okay. Some of them will get there. Some of them will finally yield. Some of them never will. Did you know that? That's, that, that would be hard for Moses to hear. Some of them will never, ever yield Moses. Some of them are going to be tares. It's okay. That's not your place. That's my place in the Holy Spirit. Love them where they're at. Continue to reach out. Continue, and this, this is in your own home. This is in your workplace. This is in the family of God. This is always the case. We want to reflect God, but we also want to be sensitive where the Lord says, all right, that's enough. You don't need to speak another word to them. They're not hearing right now. You ever get there? You have, to, you have to have the Holy Spirit says, it's okay. It's not your job to fix every problem. It's not your job to convince. It's your job to proclaim. Let me, you just lay the Ten Commandments out there. Hold these things out there. Psalm 89, 15 says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Can people see the light of life in you? Do they see that light upon you? Do they see your face glowing with joy? Even in the midst of difficult times, some of you, I pray for some of your situations. I know some of the pains you have, some of the situations, maybe you don't have, lost your job, this, that, and the other. But can people still see joy in you? See, when, when God sends Moses back down, in spite of the fact that Moses knows that some of the people still want to worship golden calves, he knows some of them want to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, he comes down in God's character, back in the same 34th chapter, back in verses 6 to 7, two sessions ago, what did God say about his own nature? He said, the Lord, he proclaimed his own name, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Even when I meet people who don't want true truth, even when I meet people who are not comfortable with my walk with Jesus, even if I meet people say, 
if they would say to me, oh, you're self-righteous, you're hypocritical, you're this, you're that, which is their own, again, the Holy Spirit speaking to them. No matter what it is, we're still to love them with the nature of God, compassionate, long-suffering. Amen? Not saying, I'm, I've got this glow now. Look at you, right? That's the way the Pharisees were. Moses didn't live that way. He said he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So much so that, again, that there was times where in the Spirit he knew it's time to put the veil on. But Paul says, now what? So is Paul contradicting Moses? Because Paul says, we're not like Moses. We don't put a veil on. No, Paul is saying we will not veil the gospel anymore. We may veil us a little bit, and we do need to... John said, let me decrease that you might, you do want to veil you, but you don't veil the gospel. You see the difference? That must shine forth. Let us die. Let people realize that we're not that perfect. We got a lot of flaws, but we are being transformed, and it's the gospel that transforms. That we can't veil, and that we keep presenting to a lost and dying world. I could go on, but we need to come to a close. God gives us these things. He gives us things that are just for us, just for Moses. But you can't, for a minute, lose sight of the fact that the things he really gives, he wants to give to everybody. Amen? wants to give everybody peace. He wants to give everybody his law. He wants to give everybody the law written on their hearts through salvation, through the gospel. Moses was just a channel. That's all he was. He was a channel for the Lord to work through. He wasn't more special than the people, but he was more yielded than the other people. Amen? And you and I, I don't compare myself to other people I'm amazed at some of the ministries I've seen people do in the history of uh, the, the ministry of Christ and since Jesus ascended back to the Father. But I don't have to compare myself to other people, nor should you, nor should we. But I can look and say, wow, that's a yielded life. Lord, I want to be like that. Amen?